One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to this. It is the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast, the podcast about rugby that doesn't take itself or the game too seriously. I'm JB, here on what is another wonderful weekend of rugby, joined with Loyal Phil. <laughs> By Loyal Phil, not with Loyal Phil. By Loyal Phil. How Bye are Loyal you, Phil? Hello JB, how are you? I'm alright, I'm alright. The, um, the dungeon's looking good. It is, isn't it? Slowly getting there, drilling, chopping, folding things, making them into... Um, what are these things? They are... Acoustic, echo-proof, sound-proof padding things. Made of your lovely collection of rubber shirts. Yeah, it's, it's looking, all, looking all right. And down the line, Tim Cocker, how are we? Very well, thank you. Just your description of loyal Phil made him sound like a dog. <laughs> well, that's uh, certainly, how, certainly, certainly how we treat him. <laughs> my, well, my apologies. My loyalty is such that I'm, I'm not in the rugby dungeon tonight, and I, I apologise for that. But for good reasons. You were, you were working. Yeah, yeah, I was uh, late call up to the Saracens Quins game. Uh, biblical uh, conditions. We'll talk about that on the uh, for Saracens uh, or for Quins. And... <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll talk about that game on the um, midweek domestic. Midweek domestic. What oh, pod? MWD. MW... MWDP, Tim. The MWDP. Oh, the D. I was thinking four words, but it's midweek. 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 <laughs> Mid-week start. Pod. We're on fire, aren't we? <laughs> but you'll be pleased to know that right now, as I record this podcast, I am just a stone's throw from the mighty Tonbridge Juddians Rugby Club. Where wow, friend awesome. of the pod. Um, what's what's his name? Hugo. 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 Where Pla- Hugo plays. Plan A. Yeah, they um they're on. I think they're on two wins this year. They had a I think a close-ish loss this week. Which is a shame. Very, very tough league, though. Yeah, it's a really tough, tough league that, to be playing in. If they were all just as good as Hugo, they might win some games. They'd win every if game. Every game. Every single game. <laughs> yeah. Off sevens. They'd, you know they'd win the Premiership in I, three years' time. <laughs> uh, can I start with an email? Um, yes, please. And actually, just to remind you, we are contactedchasers at gmail.com. We get, I, I love the correspondence we get through the week. It makes my week. It's, fan, it's fantastic stuff. And also, we are patreon.com forward slash egg chasers you can support us there but you're supporting us now by listening it, it would be great if you could just hit subscribe if you haven't already and uh, and tell your mates as well because this is the rugbyest time of the year which is what inspired john clark's email who said uh, boys i've been infected with the evil rugbyest time of the year a pernicious earworm <laughs> this is uh, your fault from last week's podcast jb apologies um, 
He said, I contacted Track and Trace and they point, it pointed to a single source, which apparently thrives in Bijou coffee shops and lower league rugby clubs. Symptoms are quite unpleasant. Usually, whilst doing some mundane tasks, you recall a tuneless rendition of a badly worded song about the Six Nations. The treatment is being left in a quiet room with some form of distraction, for example, ruminating about how Eddie Jones should have been replaced after the World Cup. <laughs> Since you might be at risk, I thought I ought to warn you. Uh, well, we've got patient zero right here. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. Tell you what, the, the emails lit up as soon as the... In, as soon as the final whistle went from England, just we had three or four, at least. Yeah. Mm. And that's not Pink including all the ones during the game. Whistle. Like, people must be typing as they are watching, with, you know, and they're all, I'd say they're all fairly furious. A mm. couple of things being mentioned. Hmm. Yes. Anyway, the biggest news of the week, internationally, is we are going to Portugal. We are, lock, we are locked in now. Flights are booked. We are going to Portugal versus Russia. Of course, you're still not able to buy tickets, but that will work out, work itself out. So if you fancy some beers over in Portugal, we will be there. Fact, Friday well, afternoon starting. Not beers. Uh, Mark Fell uh, got, has got involved because you were talking about Portuguese tipples last week. Sounds awesome. And he said, Portugal's answer to a gin and tonic is a Porto Tonico. Highly recommended, very refreshing, and lethal. And it's white port, tonic, Ooh. and a squeeze of orange. I've heard good things about white port, but I can't, I'm not sure if I've ever had it, actually. No, I'm not sure I have. But we can, we can remedy that. Definitely. We certainly can. I've, I've had a white port as a, as a cheese wine. Have you? Mm. Yeah. Interesting. What, what, what time are you landing, Tim? Have you got your dates sorted out? I haven't got anything sorted. Oh I need to God. just... I, I'm, I need to make sure I logistically can juggle work and everything. But mate, I'm, I'm I can fly from London, so getting there's not an issue. That's nice and easy. It is. But JB and I will be. We are there. We'll be there on the 18th of March, Friday, um, in Lisbon, ready for some rooftop bars and Negronis. Yeah, there's 22. I've counted on my map. There's 22 rooftop bars. Now you you have done this to me before. <laughs> yes, in, I have in several places, like for example Philadelphia or Marseille, and Marseille. led me to, and Rome and Rome. Yeah, led led me and Tim to places because you you sometimes get a little bit excited a few weeks ahead of going up to to um, an exotic location, plan a route out, and often seem to plan bars that maybe were closed for the winter or yeah. closed six years ago and had a good review? When I start planning these weekends away, it's not dissimilar. Do you know the way the SAS planned the raid on the Iranian embassy? They started building, like, mock-ups and, you know, all the rest of it. I, I kind of build a little mock-up of the city, little, little pins in it, uh, you know, there's all sorts. So, uh, yeah, I've, I've got my route sorted. We're going to visit lots and lots of good places. And, and more to the point, Portugal are playing a game in yes. Lisbon that weekend. Portugal-Russia, and it could be a game of some consequence. Well, that is a game of significant consequence in Rugby Europe Championship because the top two positions will in the league with three games to go will go into the World Cup. The team that finished third will be the team that make the repechage tournament, and uh, Portugal could make that spot. Yes. Um we should cover that off a little bit later in the podcast. We've had some uh, correspondence about the um, Rugby Europe Championship and B tournament as well. So um, mm. we'll get into that. But come on, we've got Six Nations. Hang on. And this weekend was awesome again. It, it was, but I just <clears> need <throat> one more bit of housekeeping and then we, can, then we can crack on. Okay. I've got a huge apology to make. I have messed up big time. Go on. I said last week that the 
that the engineers were defeated by the Royal (gasps) Royal Artillery. That was incorrect. Uh Uh-oh. And the captain, who is actually a captain, uh, of the engineers contacted me to say I was totally incorrect and the and the engineers actually actually prevailed so i am very sorry i made a heinous mistake uh, i'm an idiot it's simple as that the, the subject line from Cap- captain samuel butler was in capital letters i want a retraction <laughs> <laughs> well you've got retraction and formal apology from jb formal apology it, it uh, he even sent us he even sent us photographs of the, the, <laughs> of the, the artillery not the winning is what he said, and of one team lifting a trophy just to demonstrate how wrong JB was, <laughs> and a video of highlights. I, I quite like I quite like the phrase. How do, how do I know this? Because I captained the team. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops! Uh, what is the? Oh what? yeah, yeah. He said, "My credibility, you ask." I am the captain of the Royal Engineers and lifted said cannonball. Yeah, so the cannonball <laughs> That's is a cool the... trophy, a cannonball. Well, I know it's called the cannonball, but what is the actual trophy called? It is the something something cup or bowl, I, I believe. You'll see oh, it in the email. Yeah, hey. I'm, I'm trying to find it. Anyway. Uh, he's also given us a tip-off of uh, for the Army-Navy game at Twickenham, a tip-off um, of the... the bar to get to, Which the is... Royal Engineer bar which is under one of the stands, and he says it is. it just goes off. So, um, Superb stuff. It, it, is, it is the Jones Drake Trophy. That's the one. Affectionately known as the Cannonball, which has been fought over 93 times between the Royal Artillery, the Gunners, and the Royal Engineers, the Sappers. Yeah. All because I got something wrong, eh? <laughs> <sighs> well, there's a first for everything, JB. Yes, there is, there is. Okay, so there was some other rugby to be played this weekend, and played it was. Where do you want to start? Should we go sequentially, or shall we go with the game of most consequence? Let, yeah, let's talk about France-Ireland, I think, if that's the one you mean. That's what I mean as most consequence, because we thought going into this, this was probably, um, it's early in the tournament, but probably a, a potential title decider. Yep. And probably nothing that I saw during the game um, made me think any otherwise, actually. I thought from what I've seen of all six teams twice now, these are the best two teams in the tournament. Yeah. Two things I think about this, just you know, my hot takes. Number one, I still think France are not in top gear yet. There seems to be a lot more to come from these lads. They were good. Their defence is very calm. I mean, sometimes there's a, a catastrophic failure here or there, but they seem to be very calm and very comfortable with just the brutality of it. Um, and Ireland, you know, people will say this game is like of the highest caliber, and I think it wasn't actually. I think Ireland were five percent off. I don't think their passing went perfectly to hand. Some things were a little bit behind. They couldn't hit the line at speed. There were a few things which I think the Irish won't be particularly happy about, and other things I think they'll be very happy about. So there's, I think there's two things at play there, and I think in one regard this was a match of the highest caliber, and that was the physicality and brutality yes. from, from both sides. Right throughout the match, I thought they, it was astonishing actually how physical they were. I tend to agree that both sides were a little bit. Um, at times, they were both brilliant, but for parts of the game, their probably passing didn't look as crisp. And I, I think on the on Ireland side, I'd probably attribute it a little bit to Carberry, yeah. who played okay, but 
seemed a bit reluctant to really take the ball to the gain line, which a few years ago before his knee injury, he was really good. He had that extra yard of pace and he, he was a bit more threatening. And I think it's a bravery thing too. I think mm. you have to grow into that bravery. And you know, just throwing yourself back into international rugby first time up is really difficult. I think you need to get used to the physicality again and used to going to the gain line and getting battered two or three times, kind of like George Ford gets battered every time he looks <laughs> at the gain line. But it's a really difficult thing to do and it's going to take a little bit of time before he hits his straps again. I don't think he had a bad game. No, I don't think so either. But, but I think he, he maybe was lacking a little bit of that... Um, just, just that threat of a break to keep defences a bit more honest. Well, I think this is a classic international game. So the difference between international and club, in my opinion, is that at the club level, you see more fluid, better movement uh, in terms of the actual execution of the moves or the line-out. You see a lot more complexity, and it ran better because the lads are used to each other and they've had 20 games in, in that season or whatnot. Because international teams don't necessarily have that time to prepare or get ready, what they replace it with is utter brutality and individual brilliance Ireland do though that doesn't make any that doesn't make sense with Ireland that they only have four teams and the majority of the pack particularly come from one and and Sexton I mean it's a a fairly settled back line that um, the Sexton Aki ring rules obviously not in this game but in other games like last week that looked like they'd been playing together all year even though they've got years and years of, of experience together yeah, I do wonder it's about what that. The, 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 uh, sorry, I was going to say. I think what the top level international games deny you is that extra bit of time because everything's done that little bit quicker. It's when you hear people talk about making their international debut or looking back on what it was like when they started versus when they're more experienced, they describe it as you're breathing different air. It's just <laughs> that the air's thinner at international in an international game, and the air is even thinner when you get to elevated to the kind of game that we saw on Saturday between. France and Ireland, they're just that good. Is that a reference to how hard they have to work or how quick they yeah, have to like work? Yeah, how, how like how much, like you sort of go from a premiership game and then you step onto the international field and you're like, everything's happening quicker. So you, you're gasping for air where you, at, at levels that you wouldn't, doing things that you wouldn't need to before. And I think it just, it, it magnified that even more because it was too unbelievably physical side from France's point of view what's what's I think what their biggest development have been they've always had they've had these massive guys for for years but they are fit and mobile now like Paul yeah. Bill Elms are 135 kgs he gets up off the deck hits rucks he's a he's a ball carrier and and Weenie Antonio even managed what 60 minutes yeah well, I mean that's... how many times did Weenie Antonio collide with was it Andrew Porter but I, I just think France's conditioning is what it isn't that they're doing anything tactically much different or their players are, are, are much different. I just the conditioning of their pack is light years away from where it was a few years ago. I would yeah. so I would totally agree with that. And I think it actually I think this game, Ireland went into it wanting to keep the ball alive and wanting to play rugby. With an, what I took out of it was, Ireland had at least half a notion that they would be the fitter team, and particularly the fitter pack, so they could run France around. And actually, I I seem to think that going into this game, France actually had a similar idea, yeah. and so they wanted to keep the ball alive. You, you saw from the well the, the first minute when uh, leading up to Dupont's try, when they took a quick line out. 
that France wanted to play. Yeah. And both, it, it made for an incredible game to watch as a neutral because both teams did want to play. Well, if they're both convinced that they're fitter than each other, they make certain decisions which they wouldn't otherwise make. Are you keeping the ball in play for so bloody long? Yeah. And I mean, some of the, some of the guys, France, France emptied their bench in the forwards. They had the 6 2 split. Mm. They used all of them. I mean, uh, Ireland. Obviously, Dan Sheehan comes on after 25 minutes, and he was brilliant, I thought, for someone who is a great. smaller, lighter, relatively smaller, lighter, especially um, considering the people who are around him, front row. I thought he was superb. But um, Porter and Furlong, they only got taken off with uh, less than 10 minutes to go, and they were still going with the same energy in the 72nd minute as they were in the second minute. It was remarkable. Yeah, well, you know, I do think that the efforts of Antonio are remarkable because you know he, they don't play as energetically as the Irish front row, but he did seem to be in an awful lot of positions, making an awful lot of impacts. And back to your point about conditioning, Tim, and to you as well, Phil. I wonder how much of it is conditioning and how much of it is playing in a in a system which is more organised, which allows you to share the yeah. workload a bit a bit better. There, there probably there probably is an element of that yeah. as well. There's an element of that, but Antonio is probably the best example. I can remember watching him, and he'd come off the bench, he'd waddle off the bench, <laughs> yeah. and play twenty minutes and just try and pulverise in the scrum, and he couldn't really do anything else. He he's a totally different specimen now. I, 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 I and I think this. I think it's Galtier. I think this is what Not Sean he Edwards? Actually, and Sean Edwards as well. Edwards. Actually, the, <laughs> yeah. the two of them together, I, I and in fact, even more so, think about Edwards with Wales and what Gatlin did. He made Wales the fittest team on earth. Mm. Well, you know, you've got to be on your feet to defend. And I, I, I think as well, you combine those two things um, with the fact that the top 14 um, has got... So the, up to a point in t- period of time, they got more and more foreigners. Now they actually have fewer foreigners there because of the GIF rules. However, there has been um, probably some f- foreign um, strength and conditioning attitudes adopted by the French League. I mean, if you look historically at France, it was rugby was an art, not a science, yep. and, and performance was an art, not a science. Whereas now they've managed to, to combine the art of it with the science of the strength and conditioning, which leads to both such an enormous pack, but also such a well-conditioned pack. And, you know, they've got some balance in there. So Cameron Wockey has only ever played second row for France. Mm-hmm. And to me, he just looks like the French version of Ty Byrne, particularly in the line-out. I mean, he's just he's just brilliant. And oh. then you look at Paul Wil- uh, Paul Villemsa. I quite like this visual. He stood up, and he stood up next to Eugenie Antonio. And it's about 10 kilograms difference and one inch in height difference. I mean, imagine that coming at you, at the, you know, at the tight head <laughs> side of the pack. I know, it's fairly handy, isn't it? Yeah, which is why they've got to have these rangy guys like Cameron Walkie, Jalonch, Aldrit, whoever it is, yeah. jumping in the line out. Because otherwise, I'm not entirely sure what they do. Because well, I don't think Will, uh, Paul Villelmsy goes up too easily. <laughs> no, 135 kg. Yeah, Ireland had five British and Irish Lions on their bench, and I think they thought the last 20 minutes was going to be theirs. And I thought that when I looked at the benches and stuff. I quite liked how bold it was of France that they just went 50 minutes. I think it was 50 minutes. They went, yeah, off you come, Wokey. That's fine. We don't mind. We on on you go, Flamont or whoever. Or, yeah, it was. Yeah, um, yeah, or whoever it was, Jalonch. On you go after 50 minutes. And I, I just like psychologically, I, I just. 
I think that told me a little bit about France. They were like, yeah, we've we, we, our bench is amazing too. No we've worries. Got ace players. You bring yeah. your British and Irish Lions on. We'll, we'll we're, we're going to bring off what you think is our amazing players. Put on a young, inexperienced guy, and we're still going to dominate you. Now you mentioned you compared Wilkie to Ty Byrne. There's one thing that I've not seen Wilkie do, and that's a fifty twenty two. Slotted into the corner. Of course he did. It was beautiful. That and that, that could have been the, the the only problem with it, I think Ireland lost the the subsequent line out. They did. Had they have won that line out, that could have actually been a match winning fifty twenty two from Tyburn, who was everywhere throughout the game. I do think Cameron Rocky so did good. kick the ball though. I seem to be having... he, d- he did kick the ball. Yeah. It wasn't a good one, though. Well, it was, it was like a little attempted chip, wasn't it? There's no bad kicks, only bad chases, as you well know. <laughs> Sounds like they let him down. Do you know what I love about watching him in the line-out? You know where it's going to go. I mean, because they're all so massive, they basically use, like, a big set, i.e. your biggest lifters on your tallest guy. Yeah, it's going to go there. Do you want to yeah. Do you want to deal with that? Do you good deal luck. With that? It's kind of like when Sale launch up Lude or Lude lifts uh, Jean-Luc jo- Dupria. Yeah. Do you want to, you can, feel free. Feel or free J- to get it. J.P. Dupria. J.P. Dupria, that's the one. Speaking of kick chases, Mac Hansen. Now, obviously, oh, Mac, I'm not going to spend much time talking about how Robbie Balakoon has been robbed and should be playing instead of Mac Hansen. Ridiculous. But Mac Hansen had a great game, and he's so good at kick chasing. He's such a weird-looking fellow, isn't he? Well, he's, he's, he's pretty rangy. He's quite tall. It looks more you like know, a 400 meter runner than a yeah he does I, international look, this winger. sounds like I'm trying to insult him and I'm really not but it kind of rem- <laughs> there's a really nice clip in one of the NFL uh, documentaries and it's got who was the running back Tim for the LA uh, San Francisco not San Francisco San Diego Chargers LT the Damian Tomlinson oh the Damian Tomlinson yeah and he the, went to the New York Jets that's the boy and, uh, yeah didn't yeah. do quite so well. Uh, and they're talking well though, about yeah. Danny Woodhead, who is this little white wide receiver. Uh, who was at uh, sorry, the New running, York Jets. Running they back. let him go. He was at the New York Jets. They let him go and the Patriots got him a Super Bowl ring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, they were saying about him because, you know, he's a different build, different type of player. He was D- Danny Woodhead. If Danny Woodhead was alive in, like, 1950s, people would be saying LT runs just like Danny Woodhead. And I look at Mac Hansen, I think, if Mac Hansen was around in the 80s, he'd probably be, like, the all-time greatest <laughs> winger. But he does look like he's a winger from the 80s. He doesn't have that modern, professional S&C <clears throat> build. There's no two ways about it. He does. I, mean, I, I um I got a bit of his story wrong last week. There was a bit of a um an in depth um, thing at the start of this program. So this week's program. So he he wasn't an electrician, but um he drank. He was a, I think a barman. Oh okay. sorry, sorry. No, Andy Friend's son was a barman in yeah. a bar in Canberra, and Mac Hansen used to drink there. Ah, and so had the connection to Connacht and. Came across, and obviously a Cork-born mother, so came across to Ireland, played nine games for Connacht this season, and then straight into the Ireland squad. Amazing. After being right. Australia under-20s, and uh, I think from his own um, description, third or fourth choice winger at the Brumbies. Yeah. And have Canberra Vikings got rid of their um, their name? <laughs> no, I <laughs> yeah. believe it's still, yeah. Not, Sad. not Sad. yet, Tim. Maybe we should start I'm, Do uh, better. I'm protest. offended. Hmm. I'm offended. He just seems to be lucky, doesn't he? I, I, yeah, there, there's. Was it the, the more you practice, the luckier you get? Exactly, this kind of thing. That the way but he just stole the ball on the kick return. That was awesome. If, we, if we're talking about um, wingers that aren't like huge specimens, I mean, 
Villiers is stacked for a little guy. And he's I strong, love him. isn't he? He's I love so him. He's strong. He's so tough. He's so strong. I, I was thinking this weekend, him or Darcy Graham as pound for pound the strongest win, winger. And I, th- I think Villiers, I think he, the way he hits and the way he carries and like rides the contact, the old yak is amazing. Head for, down and drives. Yeah, for, for not a big guy at all. I, I think of Yuani for Italy in the same sort of mould. Just a strong... I think Yuan is a bit bigger, though. Yeah, I think he is. Yeah, he is a bit bigger. What do you reckon? Because I'm thinking about this. Uh, I reckon Villiers, if you were going to pluck a CrossFit champion out of the Six Nations, he'd be a a good shout. Ooh! I've got got a... I think that is a good shout, I've got a question for you later, and I'll ask this question in the interlude between games. Thank you for reminding me of that, Tim. Uh, Yeah, I think that's a great shout. I do think that's a great shout. To win at CrossFit, you've got to be like, what, five foot seven-ish to five foot nine max? Yeah, basically the bar's not got to, you've got to be able to do your snatch lifts and stuff without lifting the bar too far, like those big, big-headed, big short-armed um, lifters from Eastern Europe. Exactly. Uh, well, if we're going to talk about wingers, let's just talk about Damon, Damon Pinode. I am now of the opinion this guy is France's answer to uh, Anthony Watson. By that I mean it doesn't matter what he's done all year, he just gets picked. If he's fit, he he just plays because he's that good. Did you see him step? Did I? Keenan? Yes, I did. Oh. Yes, I did. And Poor. I watched it three or four times. That was... It's, it's in about two metres of space. Ke- Keenan is halfway between the five-metre line and the yeah. touchline, and he steps him in that I, little space. I genuinely couldn't believe what I was seeing. Like, because he's a big boy. Yeah, he is a big, strong boy. And you don't think of him as a steppy kind of wing. He's kind of, you know... You think of him as skillful and strong, good hands, graceful. Reads, reads the game well, good in the air, and then he does that. Six four three, bang bang, gone. Yeah, that's Absolutely like incredible. That Colby esque. There's so few players who could step an international fullback in that little space. Yeah, I think he's awesome. I think he's absolutely awesome. It's love. Was his and that footwork was even more impressive than Darcy Graham just doing enough to get Lewis Rees Summit. Oh yeah, both both Off were balance. very impressive. But I, I, I think the Pano one, because he leaves him for dead as well. The Darcy Graham and uh, LRZ is, Darcy Graham just knows he's got to get the ball to the try line, whereas Pano leaves Keenan like, flapping at uh, thin air. Yeah, yeah. And just one more thing on France. You did think, didn't you, when it got to just past half-time and Ireland have scored two tries, that this must be a France capitulation. This is not a game it, that France Was win. it 22-7? <clears throat> uh, 20, yeah, or 22-7. And, and that G- would G- be G- the G- only yeah. thing from France's point of view. Like You know Ireland are going to come back, but they've, they've got... A- any team that wants to aspire to win a World Cup, if you get to a 22-7 lead... You shouldn't give the opposition a sniff again. No. So Van der Fleer went over, and then Gibson Park goes over straight away, and then Corby starts converting things. Yeah, it was game on then. But they dealt with it. They did. They didn't just deal with it. You know, they scored a try, made it safe, and then just tackled everything. Well, that that was when they made. So just after those two tries in quick succession in the second half, that's when France made all their changes. They emptied the bench, um, changed almost all of their pack. In that, in or five of the eight pack in that little window. Yeah, it's uh, it's an impressive win. I, I can still see them losing a game to somebody though. I just don't know who. I, well, I, I, it's I, the beauty England of, at Twickenham. It's the beauty of it's 
Is it, a, is it not in... It's in Paris, isn't it? It's in it? Paris for, as the decider, I think. I thought England had France and Ireland at Twickenham. Uh, one sec. Because we've had Scotland away, Italy away. We've got Wales at home in two weeks. Yeah. And then the final game of the weekend, oh, yeah. It's is, Ireland at home. Yeah, the final, it? final game of the weekend is France host England. Yes. Uh, Hell so England's game. next two games are hosting Wales, then hosting Ireland. Right. Right. I don't think anyone's going to win a Grand Slam, so I'm still going England and going to go to Paris and pull, pull it off. Um, I can see France slipping up against Wales or someone, or Scotland. Scotland, got Scotland to, yeah. France Scotland. have got to travel to Scotland and to Wales. Yeah. It, it would be incredibly Scottish to beat England, beat France, lose to the worst Wales team in history. God, God knows how long, since, well. since the <laughs> mid-2000s. Yeah. Um, and Scotland will probably lose against Italy as well. Given that record. Here's a general point, and sort of looking across the board, as you just mentioned, you sort of hinted at, that the reaction to Wales last week, you know, on our podcast to some degree, but to a much lesser degree than the reaction to Wales elsewhere in the media and actually just on social media and stuff, it was, um, it, it was like rugby in Wales is over. And <laughs> That's my view, yeah. And, <laughs> That's and equally... Well, and, and equally, when you look at England, some people are, are really cheesed off despite a 33-0 win at Italy. I just think, actually, it it's poor, never though, as good it? as you as you think it is, and it's it's never as bad as you think it is. Maybe we should all just live in the middle a little bit more, I, I, which <laughs> would make it more boring, but, but yeah. more accurate. Well, I tend to think you're wrong there, Tim. I think the Welsh situation is literally as bad as we all think it is. Um, it's over. Or certainly as I think it is. I think it's really bad. That That said... Wales have been using the national team for how long now to paper over the cracks? It's been going on for 15, 15 years. I'm not sure it can go on for much longer. Um, but there again, they just won a Six Nations game against a very good Scotland team. So And they're reigning champs. And they're reigning champs. So what do I know? Yeah. No. Any, any, any more for any more on Ireland, France? Or France, Ireland? No. Well, what, was your, what, was, what was your thing as you dovetail between games? Oh, yeah. So... Gavin, how do you say his name? Gavin Villiers? Villiers. Right. Toulon said, winger. Yeah, you, you thought CrossFit champion, potentially, you know, in the making. I have been watching Jack Reacher recently. Um, not the Tom Cruise one, the actual real Jack Reacher. <laughs> it's amazing how many people have said to me this week, you're just like Jack Reacher. Anyway, I, that's, it's not about me. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about something else. Um, Jack Reacher, the, the, the actor, or the, the character Jack Reacher. The character, yeah. What position would he play? Either who, and what would his career look like? So I've, I've always side flanker. Yeah, I've always thought of him as actually a bit like James Haskell. Oh, that's a, that's a really good one. That's probably the best one I've had yet. Because he's he's not traditionally good looking, but he's very big, mm. six foot five and two hundred and fifty pounds, with dirty blonde hair. Yeah, which Haskell's not far off those um, that size and weight with the dirty blonde hair. So yeah, that's who I've always seen him as. So I, I think he'd pack down as a blindside. I saw him as a championship tight head lock, like a budget kind of um, Jamie Cudmore. <laughs> I think he would get... I don't think he's got... the. I don't think his mind is going to be fully enough on rugby to make it to the big leagues. But I think he could be... I think he'd get picked up for a few games. I think... I don't, I don't think he's big enough to be a tight head lock. I don't think he is. That's why he's in the championship... So, well, in the championship, the forwards about, are just as like big. Tighter locks in the I'm championship a, will be even bigger. I'm going to pluck a name here. Chris Chesney. 
Chris, Chris Chesney, ex Worcester or Saracens. Ex ex Saracens, and he he used to wear a forearm guard. He was a very very hard man. He went to Toulon Ooh. at the end of his career, didn't he? Well, God, yeah, I've, I've just got a picture of him from Toulon. Well, Chris Chesney would be one. The one I always thought of was Sam Dickinson for Northampton Saints. Again, a, four, a forearm guard wearer, a hard, big man who came from Coldy. I can see Northampton picking up Reacher. For... That is the shortcut to this. It, like, which players wear arm guards or arm guards? <laughs> yeah. They would be your contenders for Jack Reacher. Big, hard fellas who've come from the Championship. No-nonsense operators. But to be true to the books... I'm afraid Chris Chesney and Sam Dickinson can't make it because they're both bald. And Reacher has hair. Yes. Mm. Well, that's why I'm thinking Cudmore. Cudmore and Haskell is Cudmore Cudmore is a very good shout, actually. Although, he might be too big, Cudmore. Probably. You can slim down. Yeah, I reckon, actually, Reacher, as an Englishman, doesn't really get out of the championship, unless it's a Northampton Saints pickup like Dickinson and that sort of thing. Reacher... In France, might have a storied career for Clermont. In fact, do you know, do you know who he's very similar to in build and hairstyle? Well, Jamie Cudmore, Fabian Palouse, six foot five, <laughs> and just strong chin. So, well, could, if you're saying that, I think he's more like Don Armand to be a good shout. If you could dye Don, yeah. Don Armand's hair a little bit, but <laughs> although Jack Ritchie would never go for a fin or any sort of mullet variation. Oh, I tell you no. what, as well, I do think he suits French more than he does English, and his mum is French, and he's a bit more mysterious. A bit more complex. He's got several passports. That's, I mean... <laughs> Don't we all? Palouse, yeah. Not... Fabian Palouse is a tremendous shout. Very good shout, actually. Well, on that, yeah. I, think, I, think, I think that I win. <laughs> good. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ah, perfect. <laughs> Let's head to Cardiff then. When uh, they, 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 now, uh, they didn't put the roof on on a windswept rainy day in Cardiff. No. The reason? Go on, you tell me. Well, initially, I just assumed it was that Scotland didn't want it on because both teams have to agree. Oh, is it COVID? Wales... Tell me it's COVID. I, I believe it's because of COVID. Exceptional. Well done, everybody. Idiots. Absolute morons. Thank you, Drake. It's just ridiculous, isn't it? Isn't it just? That, that is ridiculous. <sighs> even, no if, even if you are a zealot that really, really like, wants all restrictions... That particular restriction is ludicrous. How about Cafe Nero not uh, putting newspapers out anymore in case of COVID? What? Yeah, Cafe Nero don't have newspapers anymore because of COVID. Just trying to save a few quid. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, it is nuts. I assumed. It anyway, was we could have could have had an even better spectacle. The, I mean, the conditions played their part, but uh, you actually it, had two teams that 
want to have a crack and um, horrible conditions. Yeah, not the best conditions. Um, a very close game, not always the most skillful, and as Scotland found out towards the end of it, not always the best decision making under pressure. Thinking mainly in that uh, about five minutes to go when Finn Russell is still in the bin and Finn Russell's sin bin time elapses and Scotland spend, I think it was more than two minutes of the remaining five minutes playing without Finn Russell because no one recognises that if they just kick it to the sideline, they get Finn Russell back. And so they just ate up their time without their star playmaker to work his magic, which if you're a Scotland fan, you must have been screaming at the TV... Just put it, just put it down, grubber it through. It doesn't matter if you get five yards. Just get the ball off the field so we can get Finn Russell back on to make the decisions that should be made now but aren't made because Finn Russell's not on the pitch. So, so here's the thing: I've been wondering about this, and this dovetails in with England last week not going for three points on 77 minutes. Mm. Um, is this a consequence of domestic leagues without relegation, perhaps? Maybe, oh. or teams that don't, or lads that don't play much competitive rugby, but that's not true for Scotland, to be fair. I mean, if you look at the, Scot- the Scottish team, a lot of them are playing competitive rugby week in, week out. But, but, but what, I'm, what I'm saying is, the con- they're not used to, on a week, week in, week out basis, playing games where three points, small decisions, have massive consequences. No. And hu- uh, uh, be- because when you have a... In the Premiership, let's say, you have no uh, relegation. Suddenly, whether or not you draw or go for a win d- doesn't matter too much. And actually, it's worth rolling the dice trying to get the trying to take the house. Um, and I, it was just a thought. I'm not saying it is. It could be correlation causation, but I just wonder because because you're right. Because I thought that was a strange decision from Tom Curry and and the other England players that I felt should have known better around him uh, with a young captain. And I totally agree with you, Phil. There was there was no one on the field for Scotland who just grabbed it by the scruff of the neck and went, hold on, this is what's going on, this is what we need to do. Yeah, if if they put the ball out at this moment in time, they get um, they get Finn Russell back on for the last three or four minutes, which is the critical time because um, they need 15 players to have a chance of winning this game. And probably m- most disappointing was um, Hogg, who's captain and was at times playing playmaker in that period, he should have been the one stepping up and saying, no, we've, let's um, let's play the right percentages game here. Let's not throw everything at it. And they, they were throwing everything at it, a man down, without their playmaker, against what was, say what you want about Wales, but their defence is good and hard-working. Yeah. And Scotland went nowhere for that for that extended period of time. Yeah, I mean, this Wales team, the whole win, actually, it's very damn biggerish, isn't it? You can sort of see his fingerprints all over it, like the, the attitude, the way they play, even the fact that he was the one responsible, basically, for the win. And and Liam Williams, I'd say, in the same vein, yeah, who is deceptively strong, nuggety, fierce competitor. Both of those had their fingerprints all over this, this win. Yeah, it's hard to know. I mean... I think Scotland have got to be really disappointed. Yeah, this. Def- I mean, definitely. Really disappointed. Uh, they played. I think they played within themselves. I think the best version of Scotland would have been able to unlock Wales a little bit easier. Um, that, but then I guess you've got to give Wales some credit for actually showing up and winning. They, they, Wales worked incredibly hard for this. 
Um, they took their chances, bigger, bigger kick well, um, and kept Wales in the game and, and ultimately won it for them. But Scotland, arguably, well, not arguably, this was theirs to lose and they did lose it. <laughs> it's an incredibly penalty Scottish count. thing to do. Yeah. Second half penalty count. That was that. Yeah. When, when you, the story of that game for Scotland is stupid decisions on an individual and a system level which cost them points cost them territory let the pressure valve off all the time and uh yeah it was just not and it sort of ties in with what you were saying about the the final few minutes without Finn Russell it just seemed like the, the they weren't optimal levels of kind of thinking and savvy and street smart and all that. Uh, you know, Scotland had had their moments. Uh, I, I think they completely outshone Wales with ball in hand. I think were probably the line breaks all back that up. Um, and they just couldn't quite they couldn't quite put that finishing touch to it. Mm. They will be frustrated. Yeah. It, they left it... They basically let Wales do what they did for a long time in the Gatland, which is stay in the fight and then decide it at the end. Which is quite 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 a cool strategy, but not after you got battered the week uh, the week before by thirty odd points. Yeah, twenty nine ten, but could have been fifty fifty nil. Again, it's worth just remembering the players Wales don't have available, and they managed to dig out a result like that, which just goes to show how hard any away win is in the Six Nations Championship. But you've just got to admire the the, the bravery of those guys that were out on the field. Yes, Scotland played poorly, but to dig that out is pretty special from that Wales side yeah yeah agreed agreed and I think the yeah probably the reaction from from Dan Bigger uh, backs you up there mate yes definitely mm. 100% um, shall we move on to England Italy or is there anything else worth talking about uh, not really these uh, these two teams uh, look like just gone one observation from Josh Cook uh, an email who just said um and he wrote this during, exactly as you said, people are literally writing us emails as the rugby's happening. And he was writing during the second half of Wales-Scotland, um, thinking Stuart Hogg doesn't seem, seems to be having less and less influence on Scotland games, um, which partly a consequence of a, a winning Scotland team and more players are stepping up and, uh, and doing more. But is it linked to the, to the similar form dip at Exeter Chiefs or perceived form dip at Exeter Chiefs? Or is it just that Scotland's backline are getting better and Finn Russell's having more and more influence on it? It's probably, he's an England fan. He's an England yeah. fan and, and uh, just said, just Scotland are firmly becoming my favourite second team. Just thought it'd be an interesting point. I do like the Scotland team uh, for, for a number of reasons. But it's, it's an interesting one because probably, yes, I think he is, certainly from these two games, having less influence. I think the, the running game, which is normally outstanding from Hogg, uh, Darcy Graham and Duan the week before against England they shone far brighter than he did so there's probably an element of there is lots of other talented runners in that back line um, there's probably an element that because Hogg's playing at Exeter on big money he has to play every game or plays virtually every game that he's available for them so he's playing the week before so arguably not as um, rested as some of the other players um, and there's probably a bit that the conditions for the last two weeks have been pretty dreadful, so it's not always the best environment for a a pacey back three player to be playing in. But yeah, True. I wouldn't and I wouldn't disagree, but it's hard to uh, disaggregate which of those factors has the greater influence on it. It's a fair point. Uh, there is one final thing from Wales Scotland we have to mention as well, <laughs> and that is the halftime punditry from Martin Johnson, 
World oh, Cup yes. winning captain. <laughs> Let me play it again. Hold on, here we go. <laughs> How did you feel? Did you see and notice Martin Johnson say, let the boys play? So I actually didn't, because I think I was out of the room making a brew. But then I did notice, because our Twitter and WhatsApp did blow up a little bit. Yes. I'm going to say yes, that is true. And I think he ripped it off from Marcus Smith, who ripped it off from us. <laughs> I think Martin Johnson listens. Yeah, That's why he said, let the boys play. Oh, he does listen. Of course he listens. He's, oh, a, man of, of course he listens. he's a man of rugby pedigree. They all, they all listen. Hello, Jono. They do. They do. He, Hello, does, Jono. He, doesn't want, he doesn't want anyone to know he listens, though. Well, he drops it in. That's why he... He drops it in, doesn't he? So he'd be mentioning... He wanted to let us know through the punditry. He, he just wanted to let... He wanted to let the world know without <laughs> letting the world know. So, so Jono... As you're obviously listening, let us know next time by making reference to a Negroni. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yes. Next, if he's working on an Italy game, that'll be easy. Perfect. So there you go, Jono. Challenge. Perfect. Laid down. <laughs> Top man. Speak, speaking of Italy games, there was a game this week. Game today, in fact. Now, yes. just before we get into it, did either of you know the two shots, or notice the two shots that they kept on doing of Eddie Jones and Kieran Crowley in the in the crowd? Uh, no, I was listening. To, <coughs> excuse me, I was listening to it as I was driving, so I haven't ah. actually watched. I haven't actually watched the game. Um, I was, I was uh, driving post Saracens match, Saracens Queens, and. Um, but I, I know some people. <coughs> sorry, excuse me. Some people have been mentioning a fridge or something. Is that r- related to what you're talking about? Oh, there was a fridge, and yeah, there was. You know, you just said that, and I noticed the fridge, and it said bar on it or something. Did it? Am I making this up? Uh, I don't know. I didn't notice the fridge. I did notice the two um, DORs, head coaches, whatever you want to call them. I noticed Eddie Jones because he was looking very smart. He was wearing a nice crisp white shirt with a with a cardigan, dressed in his um, springtime finest for the lovely room air, the mild room terrible air. cardigan. It was a terrible cardigan, it, but it, for a sixty-something-year-old man, I thought he looked quite smart. Um, Kieran Crowley, he looked grey. He looked like he had been drinking Negronis all night, and he'd been dragged from a hotel bed <laughs> into into that. Uh, that seat in the stadium, no one was near him. He just looked thoroughly miserable and grey and depressed. It's a difficult job being the Italian coach, isn't it? Many people have tried, many people have... Everyone has failed. <clears throat> Every single person has failed. There's more chance of you su- succeeding in a career in politics than there is as the Italian national coach. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm not surprised. <sighs> Every, everyone loses in this fixture every year, except for the people that love going on away trips to Rome. And who doesn't love going on a away trip to Rome? Well, that's Th- that exactly is the, like... That is the redeeming feature of this fixture, is being able to go to Rome. Yeah. Because it, it's almost a waste of a home fixture. It is. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Because you want the, cause the home advantage, yeah, whatever, it's only Italy. I don't, I'd rather play them away and play France at home. Uh, but they've they have developed in some respects and we were talking about france's conditioning i think italy's conditioning has got better they used to get spanked in the last 20 minutes of games they've solved that it's just they're getting spanked in the first 60 minutes of games now (laughs) yeah they they put in a decent very competitive performance against an excellent france team last week 
Yeah, they did. They were competitive at times in this England game, and I think they were very close to scoring at least a couple of tries. And had they had this been fourteen thirty three or seventeen thirty three, the game has a very different complexion to mm. it. When it is thirty three nil, and it could have been, it could have actually been forty nil had that Henry Slade <laughs> try have been given in the last second. It doesn't look good. It doesn't. It, it was all Italy from about. 45 minutes to 71 minutes, something like that. I don't think England had the ball much. They had a couple of attacking breaks. That was it. And they couldn't convert anything into points. And I was watching this game, so I only saw the second half. I sat down to watch it. I thought, oh, actually, you know, Italy are doing all right. I thought Gobisi's short-kicking game has got a lot to be desired. I don't know if he had an off day or what, but I just don't think it's particularly... I don't think it's nearly as sharp as it needs to be. And anyway, I'm watching them play, and I've sort of got drawn into it, thinking Italy are going to score here. They're going to score another one. You know, you know, they're looking good. They've had multiple lineouts. The lineup ball for well, for the first part at least looked okay. Then that sort of disintegrated, and it was you know fifty fifty. Then by the end of it, I thought I've been conned. I've been conned. There was nothing to see here. Uh, <laughs> England, for their part, they looked like they they were on holiday. They were relaxing. They didn't look stressed at all by the Italian attack. And I think that showed in the last 10 minutes when they got their act together and decided to start scoring some points. In fact, I think Eddie will be very disappointed with England. That second half performance for a guy who's all about intensity and you know will and all the rest of it, I don't think it's good enough, actually. They, di- they didn't have the ball for long periods of that second half. It's- Italy did get on top. So mm. they'll be pleased that England didn't concede, but disappointed for big periods of that second half. But there is also positives for England. Like some of the tries they scored um, early on and towards the end, if you count the, the Sinclair try and then the disallowed Slade try, they played some lovely stuff, really nice, and were creating space where they wanted to create space and moving Italy around. But yeah, not perhaps not consistent enough over the yeah. 80 minutes. I, I will just draw a comparison between Italy's game and your takeaways from it, JB, and... Last uh, week what, 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 week. what is this false comparison you're going to give me? Go on. No, so it. last week they were playing your beloved France. Yeah. And they really took it to France and did stress them and did convert and uh, made life quite difficult for them at times. And you folk, uh, you sort of uh, focused on, oh, isn't it brilliant that Italy are better than, they're better than we thought and they did some good things. That's when true. England are in a situation where they have no, they are never under pressure, they are never stretched. They are never threatened. They're, as you say, they won at a canter, and it's. I think England needs to be upset about this. I think England should be upset about this. I absolutely think so. I mean, you know, there's also the, the English and the Gallic mindset. You know, I, you can see France sort of turning off, and you sort of can see them not taking it so seriously. Um, but the England camp are a different beast. They do value these things like in, uh, intensity for 80 minutes. They uh, uh, they do talk about it. I thought that second half performance, there was about 35 minutes where they they looked out of sorts. Not even out of sorts, it just didn't look like they were, you know, really at the races. Uh, I think bonus, not- point, bonus point win wrapped up by half time. Yeah. yeah, and then they away, away from home in the Six Nations. I'm, I'm just so if you were yes, playing for your, there's, there's plenty, there's plenty <laughs> to improve on. I'm not saying it was great or the the blueprint, but Italy um, had 71 percent territory in the second half. That's nuts, and they didn't score. That is and nuts, and they couldn't score. Yeah, but that's not really the point, is it? You know, as a as a team, you want to get the ball back and you know go like go attacking. 
And it's England's lack. Well, there was a bit, a bit of lack of discipline. It was lack of being cl- clinical, giving the ball away, poor kicking. Was, you know, there was all sorts of things which contributed to Italy having seventy-one percent possession. If you well, were playing any other team in the world and you gave away seventy-one percent possession in the second half, you get murdered. Which which, which team do do you think that England give away seventy-one percent of 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 possession to and still come out? Well, what I was just going to do was just highlight that South Africa were <laughs> on their march to winning a World Cup and New Zealand in years prior, but particularly South Africa, though, won by give, giving the opposition the ball. Saracens won European oh, Cup I would be by giving the opposition yeah. the ball. I'd be 100% with you if you know, we're looking at Saracen style, aggressive defence. You've got eight, basically you've got yeah. eight phases before we turn you over, steal the ball and kick some points. But that wasn't what happened today. England just sort of sat back on their haunches and let the game come to them. They are good enough that it didn't bother them and I think that in itself bothers me because I think they need to be kicking up into the next gear and going to win things. Uh, battering people. <clears throat> and I think Eddie Jones will probably say, say the same thing actually. Yeah, no, I get that. And So here's a point in, in terms of improvement and, and uh, evolution and there, there was an email which I'll just find which, which made the same point which I thought I really like Marcus Smith when he's operating in that sort of slightly wider, slightly deeper, when the ball is pulled back to him, whether that's by a, a front row passing him a pivot ball or whatever. Uh, but he's he's lethal when he's in that position and he's got space and a little bit more time. Mm. And we talked last week about how the ball from Ben Youngs was a bit slow and Harry Randall seemed to speed that up. But I'm also looking at it going, maybe this is why Farrell actually is, is someone who can really get the best out of... Or help England get the best out of Marcus Smith by sitting in. Maybe, that. maybe with his absence, Farrell actually could be could be really, really important for yeah. England getting the best out Con- of Smith. Conspicuous spy's absence. Yeah, I I probably do agree because you end up having to put Slade into that role, and Slade can do that role, but perhaps not as well as Farrell in that role, and you're also losing Slade's outside break. When you say that role, do you mean sort of like the first receiver playmaker? Well, that... So, specifically the 12 rule. Yeah. But for Marcus Smith, yes, to be that that first receiver, and it's it's almost not even the playmaker, it's the the first receiver pivot with an option of a crash ball and then an option of Marcus Smith coming out the back, which in turn creates more time for Marcus Smith to do what he needs to do. A player who never gets nearly enough credit for how good he was at this role is Brad Barrett. Brad Barrett was a phenomenal pivot guy. Um, Mark Atkinson is very good at that. Mark Mark Atkinson is very, very good. good, Yeah, Because not only does he have... And by the way, he's not a big carrier, despite what the press say, because he's tall. Just because he's six foot five. Yeah, he's good because he hits the game line, gets his hands free, and then gets the offload. Not because he's going to, you know, Manu Manu (laughs) Tuolangi you. He's good because he makes the right decisions. He he was a fly half when he started. He makes the right decisions. He knows when when to run, when to pop to a forward, or when to give it out the back. I just, I, I wonder if it's a case of just giving, just giving Slade more time in the twelve jersey. Slade is such a good player. And he's, he's a wonderful he's, player. He's, his unique, his superpower is running into space and cutting lines in the wider channels. I don't. He can do the job at twelve. Yeah, I totally agree. I think he could. I, I actually said when for the first game, I would have liked how it finished in South Africa, uh, the, how the South Africa game finished with Slade at 12. Do you, 
with the players we had available. But if everyone is available and Farrell is available, I, I just think Smith with space and Slade with space outside him, I think it could be devastating. Do you know who the ultimate 12 is for England? And it won't be long until he gets a shout. And he can't play at the moment because he's ineligible. Um, he's ineligible? Yes. Uh, Max a German. Why is he ineligible? Play, plays a bath. You <laughs> can't pick anyone that plays a bath. Did you see um, Ajomo's break for the Falatau try this week? Yes, he's amazing. He's absolutely amazing. That was awesome. Like you've got, I think, I think you've got a once in a generation talent in, in Max Ajomo, and the sooner he gets into the English, I mean, Quirk Smith Ajomo. I, mean, I don't know where the heft is coming from, or the you know, <laughs> like getting over the gain line. I'm not sure how they're going to defend, but would you need to? They're rapid. They're all rapid. They're all incredible. Uh, well, Ajomu won that for that Falatau try. He went on the outside of uh, Doggers. Paolo Adogu. Did he? He did. Little yes, hitch, he did. hitch kick and gassed round Adogu. That boy can do everything. Like The sooner he gets in the, the, the England camp, the, the better. I mean, he has been in the England camp training. He needs to be starting games. Soon. Tomorrow. Maybe. Maybe I'd, I'd, I'd have him immediately right, for the next apart, World Cup. Apart from the fact that he plays for Bath, except for yeah, if Bath can get second from bottom, <laughs> they're all eligible. Uh, I don't know who would be my 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 thirteen in this situation with those two. Because yeah, you do need Slade. some. I like you, Slade. You just need some heft, don't you? I don't. I feel Manu. maybe wrongly that they might be. They might be defensively fragile. Bring back uh, Bentio. Milk Manu's doing all right now. Scored a try on the weekend. Mm. Peak Tio. We, we're still time for Peak Tio. Yes, one more year. Four, four more years. <laughs> yeah, Come on, Ben. He's only 35. Yeah. Uh, what are we talking about? Uh, it, well, I, I'll, I'll jump to a couple of emails here. One from Peter Shaw, who's listening in the States. Uh, contact chases at gmail.com. And just his observations of the weekend, which I just think he makes a couple of points which are really nice. He says, firstly... Are there any better anthems than Flower of Scotland at Murrayfield or La Marseillaise in the Stade de France? I get chills every time. Nope. Even the Safa Scots belt it out with passion. It is pretty special. In fact, the Welsh anthem in Cardiff, is, the only anthem that isn't incredible is God Save the Queen. So I'm sad to say. Yeah, it's not and The sooner they make it. it Jerusalem or I vow to thee my country or something else, the better. Yeah, it would be nice to have an English national song rather than the British national anthem as the English national anthem. Mm. But yeah. either way, yeah. Uh, he also says, uh, "Well, uh, um, Welsh grit barely beats Scott Flair and skill. The definition of elation was Dan Bigger's interview. He, he, you, I love Dan Bigger. I know. I love that man. He's a hero. He's pretty special, isn't he? Pretty special. And and also, and, and the definition of gutted was Stuart Hogg's interview after the match. Yeah. Um, he's gnashes as well. His his teeth and hair are ridiculous." Lee Good. <laughs> Lee Good. Lee Good. He's a very, very popular man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, Peter also points out... Oh, sorry, go on, Phil. I was just going to say on Bigger, I was a little bit worried about the captaincy because Bigger can occasionally be a little bit petulant when things don't perhaps go his way on the rugby field. I think it's inspired, actually. I think, yeah, it's, I think it's the right rule to, to calm him down and make him step make, back and think. Doesn't make you wonder, what the hell goes on at Northampton? You've got Courtney Laws and Dan Bigger, both great leaders. Come on, guys. Come on. <laughs> Get a grip. Get a, yeah, stop winning something, please. <laughs> uh, he also highlights how terrifying it is for the rest of the rugby world. And I didn't realise it was quite this young. The French team's average age is 25. 
Oh, yeah. Well, they, they sacked off, was it after the last World Cup, they basically didn't pick anyone over 30 again. Did they not? Yeah, and they've obviously got had some very impressive talent from the um, under-20s being incredibly competitive over the last few years, all of which is coming through, all of which is like remarkable and been playing together as well, like the the kind of Pinode and Tamak, um, Dupont... Axis. I, I reckon um, Mishlak's age will bring it down again for the World Cup <laughs> when he next, comes back. Uh, yeah, so bring it, bring, bring it up. Yeah, <laughs> bring it back up for the next but World Cup. They don't need Mishlak because they've got Luku, who looks just like Mishlak. Just like Mishlak, he might actually be Freddie Mishlak. And I'm pretty sure Gerald Merceron looked a little bit like Mishlak before <laughs> Mercer, before Mishlak was like that was a thing. Um, I hope, in the way that seems all great French players do, that Mishlak has a son. Nice. He then comes f- f- into the next generation. That w- so, who would Michelac's sons be playing with? That's it. So, so a- a- Aaron da- Ordicky. Oh. So Aaron Ordicky's son would be great. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Damian Tri's son. Try. Obviously. And Joe Jean. Joe Jean's, yeah. Of course. Yeah. I mean, just those four. The- Dominici. Son. Little, yeah. l- little, um, little Pickamol. <laughs> Mini Pickamol. Mini oh, pick-a-mole. yeah, of course. <laughs> I imagine he's going to play scrum half something ridiculous like that <laughs> no, <laughs> impossible yeah uh, and then Peter uh, finishes by saying and most importantly in the Rugby Europe Championship Spain defeated not Spain in Sochi yes, yes. have that 41 points to 37 with, with- a try at 83 minutes and 40 seconds on the clock yeah and if only- after not after not Spain had taken the lead with a try after 76 minutes. Wow. Incredible. Awesome. And as a result, the rugby, I mean, that looks, the highlights are on YouTube. That looks mm. like one worth checking out. Uh, that, that leaves the Rugby Europe Championship. As I say, the top two positions go to the World Cup, third place into the Repechage tournament with a potential World Cup spot. Romania and Spain are the only undefeated teams after two rounds of this year's competition. And Romania and Spain are slugging it out for second spot. Portugal are hot on the heels in Where fourth. Hang on. Well, Have just, Romania played Spain yet? Uh, no. That is a huge they're, they're, game. So they're, so they're both unbeaten. Georgia are also unbeaten, but they've drawn against Portugal 25 all yeah. into, into BC. But it's, it's an average of the two last year and this year. So I think Georgia are still top comfortably. Yes. Um, and then I think it's uh, Romania in second, one point ahead of Spain in third. Come on, Spain. Who are, do them. Well, who are, who are a Portugal couple of points well. ahead of Portugal. I mean, I like Port- Port- <laughs> Portugal sadly went to Romania. Um, Bucharest this weekend lost. and lost yeah, 37-27. Yeah. Bloody hell, not a bad game though. Not uh, some good. I mean, the um, Netherlands versus Georgia wasn't the best game, but the other two games looked like crackers. So what I don't get is this weekend Bath played, they lost, but um, Val Morozov played for Bath. Surely he'd be needed for Russia. For Russia, that's a very good point. Yeah, mm. I wonder if um, thing he was. Activated, or he's still at Grenoble. Uh, you know the boy, the Mass- second row, massive boy. Played. Yeah, yes. we'll come back to him later. Ostrakov, Ostrakov, Andre, big Andre. <clears throat> I'm just um, just looking through a couple of other emails. Just just one. Uh, we're not. This isn't going to come across on a podcast, but it is quite interesting. Well, I find it interesting as someone who has played hooker and mm. is a total rugby nose. But Matt uh, emailed a picture of um, oh, what was the young hooker's name? Dan Sheehan. Sheehan. Who, his tackle, by the way, on Jaminet. For a, oh, yes. a, a young hooker who 
doesn't look the biggest and was mixing with the biggest boys, I thought he had a brilliant game. And that, that tackle right at the end was incredible. It was. Uh, he, um, I'm looking at an overhead shot that was on the telly of him scrummaging. He has his right arm over Tyg Furlong's oh, shoulder, which is where not... hookers usually scrummage. And usually he would also have his his arm over Andrew Porter's shoulder, only he has it under Andrew Porter's shoulder and holding on to the back of Andrew Porter's shorts. Uh, yeah. So, there's a few ways to do this. Um, you're right. If you look at the... Who, who is the tight head there? Tyburn. Ty, Tyburn. That's more... Furlong. Sorry, Sorry, Furlong, yes. not Tyburn. That's, that's, definitely more, <laughs> that's definitely more traditional. I've made that same mistake live on the telly before, yeah. but oh. so, no worries. <laughs> Um, well, at least it wasn't a, an enormous international podcast. Or oh, that would be embarrassing. <laughs> um, yeah, so I've, I've never, I've never seen anyone holding on to short, shorts like that. But if you notice, Dylan Hartley, he had a different type of bind again, didn't he? So he came over, and he would be grabbing the collar of the shirt of both the props, oh, sort of like that. If, a, if like a big W sort of bind, and that's quite effective too. Uh, mm. Yeah, there you go. Very interesting. I don't know if it, mean, it don't makes a shred of difference. I'm sure it doesn't. <laughs> it's like second row binds. There are, I can think of, three different second row binds. But the two major ones are the fighting goose. Yeah. So Between the legs. Yeah, so you come through between the legs, and it's like you've got an apple in your hand, and you're going to you know, bite, bite the apples. But, but then you're grabbing the... You, you grab, the jersey yeah. of the... No, the no, the shorts. The shorts. The shorts. And, and quite often, if there's pockets, you actually get your arm around so far that you're actually holding onto the pocket. Yeah, so that'd be the second <laughs> the one. But my favourite is the fighting goose. What's the fighting so goose? So you rotate your hand by 180 degrees, so it looks like a goose. You know, like you do yeah, yeah. Goose thing. And you come up, and then you gra- then use your fingers to go up the shorts, up the front of the shorts. Nice. And then loop around, and you grab the Waistband. Shorts. Yeah, through the shorts to the waistband, and you ram forward. Nice. Fight the f- Pl- playing second row is just horrible. Glorious. I, I <laughs> Glorious. It. I hated it. Love second row. On the occasions when I got slotted in. Um, I, I apologise to anyone whose email I missed. I know there was a, a bunch. Really appreciate it. We do read them. Oh, yeah. No, just this one I thought, I think you'll appreciate. From Piers Dixon. Uh, contact at gmail.com. He says, <laughs> uh, great pod, blah, blah, blah. For the love of God, what, in capital letters, is the point of bringing on Ben Youngs for 26 <laughs> minutes when England are 26 yes. nil up against Italy? There, we- there, was, there was a few, if you scan down the emails um, during and shortly after the game, there was a few that mentioned a similar thing. Can I just say, there is one thing I think you, you and me will be completely on the same page with here. I totally get the criticism of bringing Ben Youngs on with 20 minutes to go. But I, what I don't get today is a criticism of Ben Youngs himself. He's broken the all-time England cap record. Have a day uh, off. Men's record. Oh, my God. Don't even yes. start me on this. Did you see the tweet from the bloody rugby paper? <laughs> no. The rugby paper tweeted, right? Um, ben Youngs is the all-time cap holder overtaking such and such, but he's not overtaken the the overall cap record holder who is Rocky Clark. Rocky Clark. I'm R- sorry. Clark. These two things are not analogous. They are not the same thing. Uh, Clark's record is brilliant by its own right. It should be respected, but it is not the same thing. It shouldn't even be considered the same thing. It is ludicrous. Uh, why people do this is beyond. Why we need to combine the records? It's nuts, <laughs> nuts. 
Anyway. Uh, 137 yeah, that, caps for Rochelle Clark. Yeah. I mean, great. But it's just not it's not the same. She's not done the same things as Ben Young's have, and she's certainly not done the same things that bloody um Jason Leonard Jason. did. <laughs> so right. yeah. We should celebrate them uh, in their own rights. In the, exa- in the thank you, Phil. In the, that's exactly how you should look at it. They are both individually brilliant records. They are not the same thing. Well, I, I actually agree with that. I bet you Rocky Clark agrees as well. Uh, John Gillespie, uh, just an email which I did spot, um, and he mentioned he knows this is one of my bugbears about advantage. Those times when a team is playing with penalty advantage, they drop the ball over the line in the act of trying to score a try, and you go back thirty meters for a penalty. But how much more advantage <laughs> do you need than the opportunity to dot the ball down and score a try, but for your own um, uh, error? And he he highlighted. And this, I noticed this at the time. This really bugged me in the Ireland-France game. The, Angus yeah. Gardner? Yeah. Angus Gardner, who always sounds like he's asking a question, even when he's giving a statement. Yep. Um, he he saw, he had one thing. So it kicked, um, Ireland had a penalty advantage. Yeah, I saw uh, this. Sorry, there was one, so it's one in the first half, I think. France had, um, had, had did that thing where they could have scored dropped the ball over the line and he went back 30 metres for a pen. Ireland had a penalty advantage. Josh van der Fleer kicked the ball through. Jaminet picks it up and he says advantage over. Yeah, I was astonished that he called advantage over then. I thought he was inconsistent not only with himself but how almost every referee applies the laws. Yeah. So I'm fine as as with, with all things refereeing. I don't like that you can get advantage and go back for a penalty after dropping the ball over the line because you were like showboating or something but uh, at least be consistent that's all we ask for so definitely I did feel for Ireland on that one yeah definitely Um, Uh, no more from me that's all the that's just a selection of the emails that I got to Um, take us home Jay Right, well, that's it. So, find us on Twitter. Or sort of on Twitter. No, don't bother. We're not there. Forget it. Uh, email us. Uh, contact at... Except we're there only when we're reveling in the fact Martin Johnson's a listener. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, true. True. Uh, join Martin Johnson by contacting us at Gmail. Contact eggchasers at gmail.com. If you want to come to Portugal, drop us an email. We'll let you know where we are. If you want to go and get tickets, you can eventually buy them from... The, what, what the championship European rugby, whatever it is. Uh, you got to go direct to the Federation of Portuguese Rugby. There are currently tickets available on the twenty sixth of Feb for Portugal versus the Netherlands. But given we are slightly more than four weeks away from Portugal <laughs> against Russia, tickets are not yet available. Yeah. It is literally as hard as it sounds. Yeah. But it's very easy. How, to m- get how to much Porto. are they? Those ones that are available for Feb? Jay Three pounds. Phil, like fifty, sixty quid, something like that. Ten euros. Yeah. Uh, under 16s are free. Are, are they really? Yeah. Uh, ten, 10 euros. Um, I could probably get you in as an under 16. <laughs> of a shave. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but that's it. So uh, thank you for listening, and we'll be with you later on in the week in your feed with the MWDP, the Midweek Domestic Podcast. Until then, goodbye. LTBP. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.